As creators, we put so much work into our craft. People outside of the industry look at what influencers do for a living and think that we, you know, take one pretty photo of ourselves at a coffee shop, post it whenever we feel like posting it, and the money just comes rolling in, right? It's pretty clear that's not the case. Far from it. The work that goes into creating an actual full-time income, or really any income at all, is mind-boggling. We're the models, photographers, creative directors, managers, accountants. I can go on. (laughs) And don't you think that because of all the work that goes into this job, we should be getting paid a fair income, right? Aside from all of the work that we put into our careers as creators, there's also an unreal amount of skill that it takes to make this gig work full time. You need to be able to be great at time management. You have to be a great salesperson. You also have to be a great negotiator, again, upon many other things. On the journey to becoming a full-time creator, you're likely spending a lot of time learning and mastering these skills because they really are mandatory to your success as a full-time creator. Considering the real skill that goes into being a legitimate creator, a full-time income is not out of reach. But How the heck are you supposed to get to a point where you can quit your full-time job to pursue this side hustle? There are just so many unknowns since our industry is just incredibly new. How do you handle a brand asking, you know, for strictly a gifted partnership? How do you turn gifted partnerships into paid partnerships? How do you sell yourself to multi-million dollar companies when sometimes you even struggle to see your worth? I'm Kristen Busquet, and I've been a full-time creator for over three years and have brought in over $300,000 from sponsored posts and content creation collaborations with brands so far. Social Scoop is the podcast where we teach you, the entrepreneurial influencer, to turn your online influence into a profitable, self-sustaining business. This week, we're here with Emma Cortez, a truly impressive, full-time fashion and lifestyle creator who was able to quit her full-time job in the aerospace industry because she was matching that income with content creation and influencing. Guys, seriously impressive. Today, we're answering all of your questions about becoming a profitable, self-sustaining business as a creator. How do you know what to charge? How often should you be pitching to brands? What does the perfect pitch look like? How do you negotiate three, four, or even five-figure deals as a micro-influencer? We're giving you the scope on all things full-time creating as an influencer career. This, my biz BFFs, is Social Scoop. Hello, my friends, and welcome to Social Scoop. My name is Kristen, and this is episode 29. We've been here for 29 weeks. Is that not insane? Is anyone else as surprised as I am? So exciting. I have a question, though. You know, as creators... It's difficult to find basically a community of people, right? You know, like we can talk to people in the comments, we can talk one-on-one in the DMs, but I think as a community, there aren't really a lot of places where we can gather as a group and kind of help each other out, Um, you know, to answer your questions, support you, help you through whatever struggles you're going through. This is exactly why we created our Social Mate Facebook community. Now with over 500 creators, you guys, it's honestly getting overwhelming to the point where I'm like, should I like stop accepting people in here? (laughs) 
There's so much going on in this group. If you haven't already, get in on our community. We have a link in the description, but I hope to see you guys there. It has been just such a rewarding community and I've gotten so much great feedback from people who have been able to get you know answers to their questions, help with things that they're struggling with and just support. Honestly, we need it as creators. It is It can get lonely out there. <laughs> so this week, okay, I wanted to share this with you. If you go into the show notes, which are also in the description, you have to read through this. So Later Media, we know Later as an amazing planning platform, but their whole media company, they released their yearly Instagram benchmarks report. It's really, really beneficial for you to read this. So the report highlights 30 different industries and basically any insight information that you should need to know about each of them. So I'm going to give you like some examples here. Um, These were all pulled from the report. So the industry standard right now, according to this report, for engagement rates of fashion accounts is 1.24%. For travel, it's 1.83%. But most of the industries fell below 2%, which again, like this was surprising to me. But it was so cool to be able to have this information. They also gave some information on reach rates. So how much of your audience you're actually reaching with your content Industry standard for fashion accounts was 13.52%. And for travel, it was 18.15%. So pretty cool. Now, I'm just giving you fashion and travel, but there were so many other industries like education, entertainment, food, health and wellness, home decor, technology. I mean, literally everything you could possibly need was in there. But I put the link to this benchmark report in the show notes. I definitely would suggest you going to check it out. There was just a lot of really interesting information. And if you're a numbers statistics nerd like I am, you will absolutely love this report. So (laughs) you're welcome. Anyway, TikTok is testing a new friends tab that is going to replace the discover tab. They are always evolving. So basically what this will do, it will allow you to, I'm going to give you the quote, easily find and enjoy content from people you're connected with. So you can choose even more ways to be entertained on TikTok. First of all, (laughs) I don't think we need more ways to be entertained on TikTok. I already spend way too much time on there, but it will basically highlight posts from followers that you follow. So those mutual follows accounts that you follow in general and other suggestions. So it sounds similar to just the general following tab, except it's going to be down on the bottom where Discover is right now. And it seems like the Discover page is just going to go away. I haven't really figured much information about that out yet, but that's the information we have as of right now. Also, Instagram is testing a new following tab for Reels surprise, surprise, they are morphing closer into TikTok every day. (laughs) So when you're on the Reels tab, you click Reels on the bottom of your screen. At the top of that screen, you're going to see the options Reels or following. So the Reels option is essentially like your For You page, your FYP on TikTok, whereas the following tab is people you follow. So it's essentially going to look just like TikTok, where at the top you have the options to toggle back and forth between the FYP and following. This will just say reels and following, but it's pretty much the same thing. So you'll be able to specifically see the reels in the reels tab from people you follow or kind of be on that discover area where you just get thrown a random bunch of things that that Instagram thinks that you would like. I, I could do without it. I don't really care. You know, like that's cool. But also I don't even know. I never spend time on the reels tab personally. 
Um, so I don't know how much I'll actually use this, but okay, sure, we'll take it. Also, Instagram is working on a redesigned menu for Reels. Okay, like I don't get super excited about like design updates because like cool, it's always changing, whatever. But guys, the best part in this new menu, do you want to know what's there? You're going to be so happy. Ready? An add to profile grid option. Okay, how many times have you, I've done this a thousand times. You, you're you on your, your reel and you click the three little dots. Like you're going to go to view the insights or view the story shares or whatever it is. And you hit remove from profile grid. And there's just no way in this world to get it back. I actually did this once and had to do some crazy research into like some Reddit threads. And I had to download this weird thing that I was convinced was going to like crash my entire computer. I ended up getting it back. But I literally, if I had to do it again, I honestly don't even know that I would be able to do it. But the option of adding to profile grid is hopefully going to be released. That is incredible. Thank you, Instagram. We needed that. Also, TikTok is working on a studio option that offers basically a more sophisticated uh, kind of like editing platform. So they're going to give you options like splitting videos, defining the sound starting point so you can start the sound whenever you want to, um, more easily choosing starting and ending points of text and a few more things. But they're kind of developing what seems to be just almost like an in-shot editing platform into TikTok, which I think is so smart because the editing options on TikTok are already pretty limited. If we had the options to edit like we do an in-shot, I mean, I wouldn't even need in-shot. Like they're, they're taking the entire, you know, use of another app and putting it on theirs, which I think is so smart. People will just spend more time on the app. So I'm actually really excited to try this out and see how it goes. But yeah, this is pretty cool. Good TikTok and Instagram news. Guys, this episode today, I have been so excited to record. After recording it, I was just like, you guys are going to love this episode. So Emma, who's a great friend of mine, she is seriously so impressive. She's so smart. Like she knows so much and she gave us such great advice. So enjoy the rest of this episode and I will see you guys next week. Guys, I am here today with Emma, who is just such an amazing creator who I think so many people listening right now look up to. I'm so excited to have you here today, Emma. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited to chat today. Yay. I feel like this was long overdue. Like we've been friends online for so long and both do such similar things. Like this was long overdue. <laughs> I know. I was like, oh my gosh, she has a podcast. We have a podcast. We need to like yeah. make an exchange collab happen. <laughs> and so I'm glad we're doing it today. Exactly. Yeah. So let's dive right into it because we have so many things to go over today. How did you actually get started monetizing as a creator? Such a great question. So just like a quick rewind, I started my blog and Instagram in 2014 during my senior year of college, just wanting a creative outlet. So I didn't know that people were making money online, let alone turning it into full-time careers. And so I didn't actually start monetizing until 2018. 2018 was the first year I started working with brands on a paid basis. It was my first year earning a four-figure campaign. And I still remember this. I was at 18,000 followers and it was like a long-term type of campaign. And when the brand offered me whatever the $2,000 it was, I was shook. <laughs> um, yeah. 
<laughs> yep. But it was, I mean, I'm sure any creator who's monetized and started seeing those four figure, five figure partnerships, you know that feeling, right? But I started monetizing again back in 2018. Wow. Yeah. It feels like it was so long ago. It kind of, it wasn't even that long ago though. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say everything feels like BC before COVID, you know, like literally. That time. Yes. I was like, it was really not that long ago, but I feel like the pandemic made it seem so much, you know, further yeah. away, but really, yeah, it was only four years ago. I started monetizing. So that's yeah. how I started. Exactly. No, I love that. So obviously so many creators who are listening are you know, where you were four years ago. They're like, I want to start monetizing. Like, I don't know exactly what the heck I'm doing here. Uh, I think we all kind of went through that when we were first starting. So for those creators who are kind of just getting started, they're likely being offered mostly gifted or commission-based partnerships. When is it okay for them to take on those partnerships? And like, at what point should they be not really doing gifted things anymore and moving on to something that's more formally compensated. I'm so glad we're talking about this because I feel like it's like one of the most popular questions I get. So in general, if you're a brand new creator who's interested in working with brands and you just want to explore what that's like, I would recommend trying out with gifted based partnerships because it's lower risk. And I would say that it actually takes some practice to learn how to work with brands and I'm sure you know this, right? Like the first time you get like that statement of work or you read a creative brief, it's a lot for the creators and it takes some time to figure out how to navigate that. So if you're, again, just completely brand new and you're interested in working with brands, it's okay to test the waters with gifted brand partnerships. And also if you're a newish creator where maybe you've been doing one, two, three, or maybe you've done a handful of gifted partnerships and you identify that, oh, wait, I want to work with brands and make this a revenue stream someday, but I still need practice on creating content consistently. I'm still figuring out how to work with the influencer agencies and how to build relationships. I actually think it's okay to do those gifted brand partnerships. My whole thing is as long as the opportunity cost is worth it to you. So opportunity cost is, I always go into these business terms, but basically (laughs) as long as whatever that product is, that relationship is with the brand, as long as that it's worth it to you at that point of your creative career, it's okay to do it. But you're going to get to a point, maybe three months, six months or a year in when you're going to say, Hey, actually that hundred dollar curling iron is just not going to cut it for me anymore. (laughs) And I'm going to need, and I'm going to need, you know, to be compensated on top of this product. And so I always just say, Hey, check in with yourself. Is that product still worth it? Is that relationship? Is the practice of learning how to work with brands still worth it? But you're going to get to a place where you're like, wait, I know how to do this. I know how to create content. I actually need to be compensated for it. And so, yeah, yeah, I say it's okay. I personally, I think I waited too long. I think (laughs) I waited. Yeah, I did. I think I waited too long. 2016 to 2018. I really waited two years. That's a long time, but also in 2016, I feel like things were very different. So like I come from the same time. And so I (laughs) feel like it was like, I was doing gifted stuff also for years. So brands weren't paying us. Like they were only paying people that had a million followers and stuff. So like totally different ballgame. So, you know, there's your justification. It's not not so bad. Now I think it's a totally different ballgame though. So For those people who are, you know, working on these gifted or commission-based partnerships, and then they're ready to 
say, okay, you know, like I really should be starting to make money here. I clearly like, I understand this. I know what I'm doing. I'm starting to really see my value. How can they turn those gifted partnerships into something that is actually paid? Yeah. So my biggest tip is to use those gifted partnerships that you've completed and start to ask and negotiate it for paid ones. So the best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. So if you start to reference previous gifted brand partnerships where you've created reels, TikToks, you know, Instagram stories for, and you start to ask those brand partners you're working with to see if they have paid campaigns, my tip is to include that previous work to show, hey, I'm already in the business of creating content. I think that's probably my biggest tip. And then kind of just a secondary thing, right? The more you ask, the more comfortable you get with having that conversation. I mean, I think a big reason I waited so long was because I was so uncomfortable about just asking to be paid. But if you've already established a relationship with the brand, if you've already worked with, even if it's just one time, right? You can say, hey, hey brand, like I really enjoyed creating content for you. You know, here's the X content that we've created together. Yeah. You know, moving forward in... Q3 or Q4, like me, please keep me in mind for paid opportunities. I would love to continue to build this relationship and work with the brand in the future. You know, you can just keep it as simple as that, but it takes practice. It does take practice, but it's also so interesting because I think this is something that I'm probably sure that you see the same things. People tend to like overcomplicate this and think that it's way like crazier of a process than it is. Like you just giving that statement is literally all the email needs to say. But like people think it needs to be like this big, crazy, well thought out like proposal. And so many times it's just like, hey, let me know if you've got anything paid going on. Talk to you soon. Yeah. (laughs) And I was going to say, and I think one thing I really struggled with, and you're right, 2016 to 2018 was a completely different era. (laughs) There was so much justification of your value as a creator. Right. But, you know, where we're at today in the influencer industry, it's a billion dollar industry. And regardless of creators and influencers, brands, Fortune 500 companies, startups, whoever need content. They need photos. They need videos. They need to get their you know, word out there. They need to reach new audiences. And so at this point in this day and time within the influence industry, you don't need to prove your value. Your voice is needed. And chances are as, yeah, and chances are as creators, whether you're a micro-influencer, nano-influencer, mega-influencer, right, you're going to be able to create content for the brand in such a unique lens that they wouldn't be able to do that in-house. So you have to start valuing your voice. Yeah, 100%. Exactly. And and I think that also is hard for people because sometimes they don't see their own value. So they're mm-hmm. like, well, of course I have to justify myself because like they're not going to see my value. But again, they, they do. It's just sometimes hard for you yourself to see it. And I think that complicates things as well. Oh, but, I get it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of value, when it comes to actually getting paid, what is the best way for a creator to decide what their rates will be? I feel like this is like if I had a dime for every time someone asked me this question. <laughs> it's a great question. I'm glad we're talking about it. Okay, so first, let's just put it out there, right? Your rate is going to be unique and different to who you are. So let's talk about the things that you can factor into your rate. Yes. Number one, 
you can factor in your costs. If you're hiring a photographer, if your husband or your boyfriend or your significant other is your photographer, factor in a photography cost yeah. because it's a service and and you're providing that, right? So I right. always, I when I started out, I always outsourced photography and I still continue to do so. And so my brand partners know that photography cost is baked in there, right? But you can also consider other things, right? If you're going to buy props, if you're going to pay right. for parking, if you're going to book an Airbnb somewhere to capture content, right? Like you can start thinking about the cost that you incur as creator, both fixed costs and variable costs and making sure that's baked in there. Yes. Other things to consider about your rate, right? One cent equals one follower is 2016. And that is yeah. not your only... <laughs> It's not your We're rate. not doing it's, that anymore. We're not. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to start that as your base price, that's fine. But let's build on that, right? 100%. Let's put, your, let's put your costs in. So other things to consider within your rates is factoring in exclusivity. So yep. again, this goes back to opportunity costs. If a brand says you cannot work with beauty brands for three months, you can factor in your opportunity costs and you can figure out is that my rate times three months? Is that 30% of my rate times three months? You can kind of play around with that and see, you know, what feels best. And then kind of my, I feel like I've said like a bunch of things about rates, but kind of the last thing I, I kind of, yeah. I always encourage other creators is just finding another creator friend yeah. to chat with Yep, and just check in and just say, Hey, like, how is it going? You know, I have this campaign going on. I'm thinking of pricing it this way. What do you, what do you yeah. think? And I know it's scary, but as women, and especially you know, within the influencer space, that is predominantly women. Right. We have to get comfortable talking about money, and so just having a friend or a group of friends, even better, right? To just right. check in, how's it going? Like, what's the rates looking like? Right. And you encourage each other too. And so I think that's. I'm sorry I didn't have like A plus B plus C. <laughs> no, it, but honestly, it's usually not that simple. And like, I think that's yeah. something too that is important for other people to know. Like, you know, it's again, there's not a specific formula to necessarily give you exactly what you should charge. I also feel like it's going to change, you know, from brand to brand and things like that too, or campaign to campaign. For some things, you might have to negotiate a little bit harder than others. So it really is so difficult. Like I could give you a range of what I want to make, but it's not that I make the same amount for every feed post. It almost never works out that way, you know? Yeah, that's exactly right. And then I think a big thing too, when we start talking about pricing as creators, I always chat with whoever I'm chatting with. I'm like, what's your financial revenue goal for the year? Mm -hmm. And like, is your price going to help you meet that? Right. Because if you end with, hey, I want to do 10000 this year. Okay, so then we can start to break that down and actually think about like what price is going to help you achieve that campaign. Yeah. If you want to do brand partnerships as your main way of making money or if you want to do courses, whatever that is, right? I, right. I really think thinking about like a revenue goal annually, quarterly will help you clarify your pricing and 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 just get better understanding. Oh, okay. I actually have to raise my price. Like if I'm going to yeah. make $10,000 this year, I can't charge $50 a post. Like that's not going to work. Yeah. No, that's a, a really good point. Kind of looking at the big picture there. And I will mm -hmm. say too, like going back to kind of having someone to, to talk to about this, that's actually something that when I first realized how much I could be charging, I literally found out from talking to someone who was doing the same campaign as me 
who was a good friend of mine with really similar stats and really similar content. And we were just talking about the campaign. She was like, yeah, well, when they paid me $500 and I was like, wait, what? They're only paying me $200. (laughs) And that's kind of the moment where I said, fine, my new rates are $500. Awesome. Because if she can charge it and we're so similar, I'm going to charge it too and see what happens. And I feel like once you have a number like that, the more you throw it out, the more you'll realize if it's too low, too high, right where it's supposed to be. Because a lot of the times, like, if I'm getting a brand that's immediately accepting my rate, I'm just like, oh, it's probably too low. If I don't have to negotiate, it's probably too low. So that's another way to do it as well. It's just kind of like figure out some number. Just make up a number if you have to. And then just start throwing it out. And again, like the more you see that it's getting automatically accepted, raise it $100 and see what happens. Keeps happening. Raise it another $100. Yeah, I was going to say that's a great practice, right? Because I always get questions too. How often should I be raising my rates? And I love your approach on just every campaign. You can see and you can test it. If that's scary to you, I recommend doing it on a quarterly basis, right? On a quarterly basis times it by 25% and just, you know, see like, okay, I'm going to every quarter, I'm going to increase my rate by, you know, 25%. And if brands are accepting it, that this is a signal for me to keep raising it. So yeah, I'm glad you chatted about that. Yeah. That's very important. Lots for, of trial and error. It is. It <laughs> is. And it's funny, it's still happening today. I mean, I had a holiday campaign and it was kind of a similar thing where I was working, you know, one of my friends, similar following size, similar stats, and the brand paid her $3,000 more. And I was like, I, I should have asked. What? <laughs> yeah, but it's still happening, you know? So I think people yeah, think exactly. like, oh, I'm going to get, I'm going to get to a point and then it's all going to be, I'm like, no, you're pricing, especially as entrepreneurs or solo op- entrepreneurs, right? Is an ongoing thing and we're always exactly. reworking, revisiting. And so, yeah, I'm glad you again, gave that example. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's so important when it comes to working with brands, just like realizing that there is going to be that trial and error or kind of like that ever-changing aspect of our businesses. Like there's, I feel like quite a few things that are always going to be a work in in progress almost. Like they're always going to be something you're changing around. Um, And actually kind of to bring it into our next topic, sometimes I feel this way about pitching. I had a certain way that I really loved to pitch and it worked for a while. I realized it was slowing down. Then I changed it to see if it would work better. Again, lots of trial and error. So when it comes to pitching, first, I'm really curious for you, what percentage of your collaborations are coming from pitches versus like influencer platforms or inbound emails? Because I feel like this might like surprise people. Yeah, I think people are always really shocked. I would say 90 to 95% of my brand partnerships are brands coming into my inbox. Yep. I pitch maybe 5% of the, 5 to 10% of the time. And um, yeah, I people always are like, what are you talking yep. about? It's shocking. <laughs> but, exactly. Yep. I, I, yeah. But okay. So I think part of the reason why is in my past life, when I worked in the aerospace industry for four years, I was a project manager. So project management and doing brand partnerships, it's like the same. Yeah, not very different. It's not. You have a statement of work, you identify the timeline, and you have stakeholders. And so I think that brand partnerships, right, every creator is different. Some creators don't like them at all, but it really works for my right. work style. And so 
since 2018, I would say I was pitching a lot more in my earlier years as I was trying to figure things out. But as I've developed relationships, as I, I think just established myself as a creator in the industry, I really don't focus on pitching. My focus has yep. been more negotiating. So yeah. yeah, that's my breakout. What's yours? I, don't- I was going to say mine's honestly probably the same. I'm probably somewhere between 85 to 90% of inbound emails. And I think that's important for people to know because like they're probably seeing collaborations that we're doing and being like, oh my gosh, I pitched them. They didn't respond to me. But I feel like it's so many of the times these brands are coming into our emails versus us pitching. So it obviously makes it easier. We don't, we almost like don't have to impress them as much in our exchanges of emails because they're coming to us. So they want us. So it's not a pitch where we're like, oh, here are our stats and you should hire us. Like, that's kind of taken out of the mix. But I think for me, at least, like when I got to a point where I was getting mostly my partnerships from inbound emails, that's when I knew that I was positioning myself correctly. And I think that this is something that a lot of creators like don't pay a lot of attention to is like the way you position yourself and present yourself on your page is so important because again, it could get you to a place where you don't even have to worry about pitching. And honestly, I think that's the best place to be in because pitching can be really difficult. Mm -hmm. I mean, again, it just depends like where you come from in the industry. And I know creators who came in from PR are very comfortable with pitching and that's like the preferred method. But yeah, I kind of concur with you. I mean, I'm really glad that I'm in a place in my creative career since taking it full-time, especially where I don't worry about having to send X amount of pitches a month. If there is a brand though that I do want to work with, I'm very thoughtful and strategic in like how I approach them. Because when I do pitch, I want to make sure it's like the best it can be. And, you know, putting a lot of time and energy into that. But yeah, yeah, that's where I'm at with that. What does that look like for you? So if there is a brand where you're like, oh my gosh, I absolutely love this brand. I would love to work with them, but they haven't been in my inbox. How do you send this pitch? Like, what does your typical pitch look like? Yeah, so if I don't have an existing contact with a PR agency or an influencer agency, and this will probably surprise people, I literally will message them on Instagram and I'll say, hi, I'm Emma. I'm a Seattle-based content creator and I'm looking to that a potential, you know, collaboration with the brand? Is there a designated email I can use, you know, to send that to? I know it seems like you're sending it into a black hole because, you know, like who reads those DMs, right? (laughs) You know, a brand, sometimes like brands will say, oh, hey, like, please send this to whatever, marketing at brand.com. And then I send that. And so once I get that email address, I'm pretty like thoughtful in what I'm saying. Typically I present a super clear idea of like what I want to create a timeline. And what, I mean, you want to make sure, right? Like brands are planning out content and campaigns. Yeah. Sometimes it's short, but sometimes usually there's a lead time, you know, four, six weeks, eight weeks. And so if it's coming up for next season, then I can say, Hey, like for next season or for next quarter, here's what I'm thinking. Here's what I'd love to do for you. And here's the content that I've created in the past. Um, if this is something that it's aligned with your goals and your priorities, like, please let me know. And then we kind of go from there. Right. Yeah. So that's how I approach it. But again, I'm like trying to think the last time I really like. <laughs> <laughs> 
honestly, hey, um, it's not a bad problem to have. Okay, yeah, I know, but people are probably like, oh my God. I'm like, oh, gosh. <laughs> but yeah, I really try to be as thoughtful and clear yeah. as possible. Or, and if they're not interested in the campaign, right? Like, even just having that contact is really valuable because, 100%. you know, you can send your media kit and it can keep you in mind for future things. And so, yeah, that's where I see yeah. pitching. Yeah, pitching is one of those interesting topics because I feel like it's kind of like the hot topic in influencer marketing right now for creators. They're like, oh my gosh, how do I pitch? How, what does a perfect pitch look like? What is my template? You know, like all of these kind of thoughts about pitching. So we actually just released a masterclass called the Anti-Pitch Method because oh I goodness. have actually found so much more success not sending a formal pitch when I am reaching out to brands. So like what I've basically been doing is instead of, you know, finding the contact and sending them just like a, hey, this is who I am. This is like my stats, da, da, da. You know, again, because I feel like they're getting so many of those emails. I've been literally finding the CEOs or the influencer people, you know, like anyone who would be the person I'd want to talk to. And I've just been like, hey, what's up? You know, like, I like what you guys are doing. How's everything going? What are you working on? And like, I'm just super casual about it. And I, it's worked so well because what's happened is like, they've started to be like, oh yeah, this is what we're working on. I'm like, oh my gosh, yeah, I'd love to get on a call and talk to you a little bit more. Cause I actually have some ideas that, you know, might contribute to what you guys are working on. And then on that call is when I start to kind of like propose, oh, well I could do this and I could do that. Then I typically will send like a little proposal afterwards, just being like, hey, based on everything we talked about, here's what I think would work. Here's my rate for all of that. And honestly, some of my biggest partnerships in the last few months have started in that way. And it's so crazy because it. it did not involve me sending a pitch email, which I love. <laughs> I love yeah. it. That's like such valuable information. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, just and if you think about it, right, just showing you're interested in the brand and you want to know what's going on, I think right. is like the biggest differentiator, right? Yeah. Versus, versus just being like, hey, pay me. I'm here. Yeah. Will you pay me. <laughs> yeah. You know, like people, yeah. the brands get these emails all day long. So it's, I've just been trying to figure out ways of like, how can this look different than everyone else's pitch that they're sending? And, you know, even like with what you do of like, I'm going to send you know, a specific idea that's going to really wow them with a timeline, like even just that organization and the fact that you've already put thought into a concept. I feel like that right there is even something that sets you apart so much because again, so many creators are just sending a pitch that says, Hey, this is me. This is my Instagram. Yeah. I'd love to work with you. You know, know, bye. and and it's funny because it's like maybe in 2016 that would have worked because it was still very new that those relationships exactly. were very new and you would have stood out. But yeah, I would say in this day and age, you really have to continuously like think about how you differentiate yourself. And right. I have this, I have like a thing I like to do with, within my career, right? And I think you're doing it right now. When people zig you zag, that's how you yeah. stand out. When people are pitching, yes. actually, here's the anti-pitch. And so I love, I like love that you shared that. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. Yeah, it's definitely, it's true. Like, especially in an, in a very saturated market, how do you stand apart? You know, like, how do you, yeah. how are you different than everyone else? Because again, like, no one is going to read the email if it literally looks exactly the same as the person 
right above you. <laughs> you know, like it's true. It's, it's not going to do anything for them. So, yeah, I mean, with pitching again, like obviously it's something important to think about, you know, find a groove that works for you. And I guess one thing that I want to touch on quickly, I don't think that you're going to have like a specific answer to this, but I'm curious to hear what you say, because I get this question all the time. How often should a creator be pitching to brands? Oh, my gosh. I get this question five times a day. That's so funny. And it did. <laughs> OK, so I'm just going to go back to it. Depends on your financial revenue goals. Yeah. How much money do you need to bring in to cover your lifestyle or cover, you know, bring it in as a side hustle to cover that car payment or student loan payment? Right. It depends on your financial goals. Because if you ask me that question and you ask me how many times I've pitched in the last few months. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, you're literally going to be like, uh, because, yeah, I tend to do my yeah. pitching at the very beginning of the year. I don't know if you do this. Typically at the beginning of the year, I'll just send notes to brands I've worked with, PR agencies yes. and influencer agencies. And I just say, hey, you know, what's, what's going <laughs> what on? Like, on? hope you're <laughs> doing great. Like, yeah. You know, Remember me? You know, you need any support. Exactly. Right here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I that do. I mean, that makes sense. And a lot of the times I feel like you have to kind of just send a bunch of different pitches, you know, like send them out. Because a lot of the times what happens is you're not going to get responses to 100% of them. That's something mm -hmm. that I think a lot of creators need to hear is like, you're going to send 10 pitches. You're not going to get 10 responses. I will bet yes. my life on it. <laughs> like, yeah, that's correct. <laughs> no, that's totally correct. And, and I will say, right, I think like once you, and I remember this as a new creator, once you realize it's like not a personal thing for people to oh, not, not respond to you, you realize like, oh, it's like, you know, it's there's fine. a million. Yeah. yeah, it's fine. There's a million reasons why people don't respond. And it is not because people don't you know, don't like you, or, you don't, or whatever. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly that. I'm like, oh my gosh, once we separate, it's not about like, you know, liking another person or not, but there's, again, yeah, right. it's fine. You just got to exactly. keep it moving. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, that rejection, I think is important to understand. Like it happens to everyone. It's again, it's not personal. So I'm curious, obviously, so you're not sending a ton of pitches, that's fine. But what about like when you're sending rate proposals? So a brand reaches out to you. They say, this is what we want to do. And you're like, sick, here's my rates. I guess I have two questions here. First of all, is there any specific way that you present your rates? Like, do you put them in like a proposal typically, or do you just send the rates in the email? And then once you are, you know, sending over those rates, do you get a lot of back and forth typically, or do you find that most brands just kind of accept them? So I guess presentation and then yes. acceptance of rates. It's such a great question. So typically, you know, once I understand the campaign and I know the timeline, exclusivity, usage, competitors, you know, X, Y, Z, yeah. and ABC all over again, <laughs> typically I will just like list out what they're asking for and I'll say, hey, here's my proposed rate for this, you know, let me know if this works for the brand. So I know I don't do any like special proposals or anything like that. Like typically I just say, Hey, I understand the statement of work. This is what it's going to cost. Like this yeah. is just going to be the price of the campaign. And then the second thing I typically will do one to three rounds of negotiations with the brand. Okay. So I would say on average one to two, but sometimes like 
if we have a phone call, maybe three, you know what I mean? And so it's just getting on the same page. Okay, if you can't meet my rate at this, then like, what can we do to pare down those deliverables? Or what can we do to bring down that exclusivity? And so it's not always about rate. Sometimes, you know, if I understand like the brand can't, you know, increase whatever that rate may be, okay, then what are things that we can remove off the table, right? And so, yeah, one to three rounds, I'd say would be average. And then Mm -hmm. for longer term five-figure campaigns, usually there's a phone call. Yeah, I think that's pretty fair. Right, right. right? And so I think with that, but which I always think is, I think anytime you get kind of that one-on-one time with an agency or brand, I think it's a great time to like fully, yep. you know, build the relationship and the connection and then understand what they need. So that's about it for yeah. me. How about you? Do you spend a lot of time negotiating back and forth or is it kind of a quick? I feel like, it, again, it kind of depends on the campaign. Like there are definitely times where I have to go back and forth and back and forth until we're literally just like in the middle of where we could both possibly go. But then again, there are some times where they're just like, eh, we can't do 3000. Can you do 2700? And I'm just like, you know what? That's fine. Or 2800 yeah. and you've got a deal. Like sometimes it is really quick. So speaking of negotiations, obviously, I mean, that's something, like you said, you mostly focus on negotiating the campaigns that are coming into you. What would you say are kind of like maybe your top three negotiation tips? Yeah, this is a great one. I, again, like negotiating, I think is aware. It's like my biggest skill set. And I think it just comes from being a project manager and like having that practice, like working with, you know, different groups and people. And so I actually include this all in my negotiations course. So if you are a creator who's interested in learning how to better negotiate campaigns, I'm going to show you the tips with you and then you can revisit it in this course. Yes. So tip number one, everything's negotiable. Everything. Yep. The money, the payment terms, exclusivity, usage, right? Just because it's an email and just because it looks black and white doesn't mean it it's final. I, right. I wish I had learned that early on. And so I really wanted to talk about that today. So... If you're getting that feeling and you think, hey, I'm actually not okay with net 90, let's see if we can bring it down to net 60 or net 45. Right. Ask, just say, hey, I'm not okay with this payment. Is it possible to like work with the finance and accounting team to like bring this down? So that's tip number one. Tip number two for negotiating is understanding that you can use all those things to negotiate. Exclusivity, usage, timeline. All those things are your power in negotiating higher paid campaigns. And yes. once you figure out, and if this comes back to write one follower, one cent rule, you, that's why you have to go away with that. Because if you're yeah. stuck in that, you know, fixed way of pricing yourself as a creator, you actually won't think about, oh, these, I can actually use these factors to help yes. increase my rate. And then I think my like last negotiation tip for creators is that, You just have to keep practicing and asking, even if it's a small local company and you know they're not going to have budget, just getting into the habit of saying, hey, like, you know, you learn about the statement of work and you say, all right, like, what's your allocated budget for this? What are you thinking? And even if they say no, if you even if you know they're going to say no, the practice is going to benefit you in the long run. Just ask. Right. And you also don't always know that they're going to say no. That's the thing, too, is like, you know, sometimes you're like, oh, they'll probably they're not going to. But like, how do you 
know. You never know. Right. And so I'll give like a real life example. So just like in the past, there you know, there's store openings that happen all the time, right? And typically, right, you're like, I'll just show up. Like, great, I'll take the free goodie bag, my two pairs of jeans, like I'm living. And there was a specific brand that did a store opening and I just wanted to go, but I was like, okay, like, let me ask what their budget is. Like, let me just see, you know, like what their budget is and required deliverables. And they ended up paying me $4,000 to attend this event. And I literally was like, I almost (laughs) didn't even ask. You'd almost lost (laughs) (laughs) $4,000. I almost was like, just going to get my goodie bag and my coffee. And I was like, this is why. (laughs) Yes. I'm sorry. Seriously. It's so true. No. You never know. Exactly. And yeah, the practice, I think, is what's most important. It's like, I mean, again, when I first started monetizing, you can absolutely bet that anything that came into my email, I was like, sure. Yep. Yep. Let's do that. Mm -hmm, No problem. Because I was just like, I'm not about to like push my luck with these brands because you don't want to, if Coca-Cola reaches out to you and they offer you a thousand dollars, but you want 2000, like, a lot of people would just take the thousand because they're like, it's Coca-Cola. Like, you know, I don't want to argue with them. What if they say no? But that's something to think about too, is like most of the time, if you negotiate and you ask for something too high, the absolute worst that's going to happen is they're going to say, sorry, we can't do that high. And then you say, okay, so what can you do? And like, that's literally the worst that can happen. It sounds way scarier than it actually is. It's true. And but once you get that practice right, like it's all yes. and I, I really do think that pitching, negotiating, these are all critical content creator influencer skills that I think yes. not that they're undervalued, but I don't think people realize that this is a skill set that needs yep. to be practiced. Like like you editing photos, negotiating and asking is a clear skill set. Yeah. So you got to put some time and energy and intention behind it. And just adding that ask every time someone comes into your inbox will help you leaps and bounds. So yeah, yeah, exactly. That's, it's a really good point. I love that. One thing I will add uh, to that as well. Like I wrote a couple of things down as you were talking that reminded me. So another thing that I'll do when negotiating is sometimes I will just straight up be like, no, sorry, that doesn't work for me. Like if we've gotten to a point where like they're really not going to budge to where I want them to or something that's acceptable, I'll literally just be like, well, you know what? Thank you so much for the opportunity. Unfortunately, I'm not going to make that work. Let me know if anything changes though. And I'll tell you nine times out of 10, they come back a couple of days later with a magical budget that they just happened to find that, you know, can reach where they wanted to reach with me. So sometimes walking away actually is kind of like a power move and ends up being really beneficial for you. And again, like worst case scenario, they don't come back to you with more money. But like if you were okay settling for what they originally offered anyway, like you're not really losing anything. So sometimes walking away. I'm so glad you said that. Yeah, Yeah. I was going to say it's actually one of the biggest negotiation tips for people or women, especially if you're negotiating a salary or if you're negotiating a brand campaign, right? You have to be at that point where you're willing to walk away and you're okay. That's where you you kind of find your power and you kind of get yep. the negotiating leverage. It's funny because I have a like a story to that, but I ended up still walking away. I did a brand campaign for this brand last year and they paid me four thousand dollars for this campaign. 
they wanted me to do like a quarterly campaign and they budgeted $9,000 for the year. And I literally was like, but you paid $4,000. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) exactly. I had three phone calls with this agency because the brand really wanted to work with me. And I was like, I can't accept. Yeah. And so again, I know it probably sounds crazy, right? Maybe when you're starting out, you're like, you walked away from $9,000. But if you think about it, I was like, they paid me $4,000 for one campaign. They could have just done four times four, right? And then known that, okay, I would have done it for 16. And it's like, you have to like be to that point where you're like, I am going to walk away from these big campaigns because I know you know I'm worth it because you yeah. already paid it. You, because so, you literally um, just paid me that. Paid me. <laughs> what? Yes. And so sometimes it happens. And again, like, I think a big thing that creators really get the fear, right? They're like, oh, this next thing's not going to happen. I'm not going to have right. any more opportunities in this way. And it's like, we have to shift that mindset that there are so many brands out there, millions of dollars in marketing budgets. And there's always going to be a new opportunity. And so it's okay to say no. And it's okay to be willing yeah. to walk away. So 100%. I'm glad you shared your story. And then I shared like the flip end where it's like, <laughs> yeah, it work out. And that's okay. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And it is okay. One thing too, I will add there is with this kind of like fear of like, oh my gosh, I don't want to like ruin things with the brand. One thing you have to think about too is like, just because the brand is the one paying you doesn't mean that that they have the most power in this situation. At the end of the day, working with a brand is a 50-50 partnership. You yes. have an equal amount of say in what happens and what you're going to be paid and all of these things, just as the brand does. So I think it's important for creators to know that. And again, like even in situations where like maybe they ask you to do something and you're like, oh, my audience would hate that. Like you have to be willing to speak up and say, hey guys, you know, it's a cool idea and everything, but for my particular audience, that's not going to fly with them. You know, and again, like it sounds like something you would be so scared to say and stick up for because you don't want to like piss off the brand. But at the same time, like you're doing them a favor by saying, you're going to pay me all this money and it's not going to work if we do it your way. So let me tell you Mm -hmm. how I think it will work. This is a 50-50 partnership. You're a service provider they're hiring you to do your thing, you know? So if you have a certain way of doing it and you need to, again, be like not afraid to speak up for that kind of stuff. For sure. And again, it all goes back to this, right? Like even if you're starting out on gifted brand partnerships and you're recognizing brands are asking for specific things where you're like, this is not going to work. This is your time to start practicing that. So when there are dollars exchanged, you can come in confidently. Like I really think it's you have all creators out there who are interested in working with brands, you literally have the power, the autonomy, the business acumen, the creative talent to start like making sure that and negotiating that things, you know, are aligned with your brand and your audience. And, and you can come into these partnerships with that mentality that, and I think you're right. I should have mentioned that at the beginning, I come into each partnership and I come in and I know I have a seat at the table. You're not telling me what to post, right? I'm joining you and I'm letting you know, hey, okay, here's your key messaging. Here's your objectives. Here's what I think is going to work best for my audience, my region, whatever that may be. So, yeah, 
Yep. It's yeah. something that all creators need to, I think, take more seriously and really recognize. One thing I want to kind of touch on before we pop off here, I want to talk a little bit about turning your partnerships into long term or even just like more in-depth partnerships than just like a one one sponsored post. So like if a brand reaches out to you and says, hey, we'd love for you to do, you know, a reel for us and some stories. How do you say, okay, well, that sounds great, but what if we were to do this? And you kind of like make it a higher ticket proposal or a longer term partnership. Yeah. So typically I think there's two approaches to this. If you are, and I'm so big about like relationships and like being okay with PR team or the influencer agency. So this is usually my way. I'll do the campaign and I'll create whatever the content, right? Yeah. Whatever they need. And then at the end of that campaign, I'll say, hey, I genuinely enjoy working with you and your team. Does the brand have future influencer activations for Q3 and Q4? And if so, you know, would you be open to like having a conversation about potentially extending this partnership? You know, let me know your thoughts on that. That way, that agency, that brand already knows you can create the content and it's met what they what they've asked for. They're like, oh, she's already right. a partner in this and now she's looking at ways. So that's typically my way. If it's a brand that I know is going to resonate well with my audience off the bat, and maybe I am aware of the agency or I know that people have worked with them and it's been like a good experience. I'll say, hey, like, you know, it's awesome that you have this Mother's Day campaign coming up. You know, are there any other activations in June or July where we could extend this campaign and do another flight of content to help support the yes. brand? So that's like method two. But again, I typically go method one. I really want to make, because I'm, I'm sure you know this, sometimes you get into these campaigns and even if they're high paying, it's not always where like agencies have been like disorganized. You know what I mean? Like, I just oh, want to make yeah. sure I'm going to have a good partner. That's a really good forward. Point. So yeah. that's why I go with with the first one. <laughs> yeah, it's just as much for your kind of insurance as it is for theirs. Yes. Yes. I think that's fair. Cool. Okay. This was awesome. So wrapping up our episode at the end of every episode, I open the floor to my guests to ask me any one question. So let's hear what yours is. Okay. So I just got back from Paris and Amsterdam. So my brain's like on travel mode right now. So jealous. Top three places on your bucket list. Ooh. Okay. Italy and Greece are definitely in the top two. And then I actually think my third one is like a little more boring, but I really want to go to San Diego. I've never been. And I just, I, it's very different from Italy go. and Greece. <laughs> I know. I, I know. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I've never been to San Diego. I'm dying to go. I don't know why. I just have this giant list of things that I want to do there. And I'm just like, you know, looking for some time to go. So that's going to be probably my next trip. <laughs> okay. Awesome. I love that. I was not so random. So random. (laughs) It's a great city. It is a great city. Yeah. Everyone loves everyone who's gone. It definitely loves it. So that's got to say something. Also, how have you never hosted any like content retreats or anything? I know. You should totally do that. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously. Yeah. I, it's funny because, and you know, this as a creator, we can build our career so many ways right? It's endless. It's endless. And so, yeah, we, 
okay, maybe in the future. It may be in the future. I, I've always been asked for mentoring, group coaching, things like that. I mean, I know I could do, I don't know. We could chat about this. I was going to say, let's plan one together. Yeah, we, know, so we, a couple, I guess it was like a, a, almost two months ago at this point, but we had planned a trip with Trova trip all the trips um and they basically like put the trip together and we just like sold the trip to people in our audience it was the best like process ever it was so easy they plan all of the activities they're all included in the pricing like we got to do so much cool stuff we did salsa dancing rum tasting like boat tours all of these things and they literally put everything together and it was just a big group of creators. It was literally like the best trip ever. I can't wait to go on another one. But I was, that's what I'm saying. I'm like, you should totally host one of those. <laughs> oh my gosh, that would be so much fun. Yeah, Seriously. I want to learn more about that. Yeah, we'll have to talk about it. <laughs> All right, girl. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I'm sure that everyone who listened has a lot to think about now and a lot of things that they want to work on to really like take their business more seriously and really, you know, put that value on themselves and, and see that they can actually monetize. And, you know, if they put the, if they value themselves, then it's easier for brands to do the same. So I think that conversation sure. that we had really embodied that. So I love the empowerment. I love all the knowledge. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. This is so much fun. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. We hope that you loved every minute. If you learned something new, drop us a review and let us know what you learned. If you hear something in this episode that you want to chat about more, definitely send me a message on Instagram at yoursocialmate or kboosk. See you next week.